0: Welcome to the We Need to Talk About Whiteness podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Francois, and to all of our listeners and viewers, thank you for joining us. This is a space where we explore the meaning of whiteness in the context of conversations around race and racism, and as the structure pertains to different areas of our lives. Why whiteness? Well, very simply, because as someone racialized as white myself, I want to explore the meaning and impact of whiteness at our current juncture. What does whiteness mean and does it matter? Every episode, I'm joined by a guest who offers unique insights into those questions and many more. Today, I'm joined by award-winning Australian novelist, poet, theater writer, critic, and editor, Alison Crogan. Her latest book, a memoir entitled Monsters takes at its starting point The painful breakdown of a relationship between two sisters to explore how our attitudes are shaped by the myths that underpin colonialism and patriarchy and the lies we tell ourselves to maintain them. Alison, what a light topic for a memoir. Thank you so much for (laughs) joining us.
1: Yes, it's a book that's got lots of jokes and lots yes. of laughs as you can imagine yeah
0: yes um it's it definitely takes you on a journey that's for sure um I guess my first point having read the book now is is obviously you know it being a memoir it's clearly a very personal book it's a very exposing book I think mm. probably another way to put it why yeah. did you want to write it
1: well I that's a Interesting question because there are so many reasons not to write a book like that. Yeah, beginning with one's own family, and um, so, but it does explore a whole lot of things that have troubled me for many years, and um, I think what sparked it. I mean, obviously there was a, a a breakdown in the relationship with my sister that happened a few years ago, that was kind of the obvious impetus to the book. But one of the things that drove it was trying to understand intransigence, like why don't things change? Why is it so impossible to find change even when you're seeking it or you know, just hit, hitting a wall? where you're kind of stuck in some kind of awful circle, which was the experience of my sister. And in the end, I I just removed myself. Um, And why does that happen? And one of the things that started nagging at me, first of all, I was thinking about relationships between women under patriarchy and how they're so compromised how How we are socialized to be competitive, this is particularly white women, I have to say, yeah. um, and mainly when I'm speaking about women, in the book, I'm talking about white women and the relationships between white women. and of course, um, I'm also speaking in generalizations because we can work past these problems. but in in the standard kind of patriarchal kind of upbringing, we are taught that A, we're lesser than men, and B, that we're in competition with each other for male attention. To put it very, very crudely. Right. And um, this, and so I was interested in the distortions of relationship that happened between us. And then I started. I suppose. I mean, the book, in a a way. I mean, it's very much a poet's book. I think it's not an academic book, though. I draw on, you know, various thinkers, obviously, but. Um, it's, it is very much a poet's book in that it works um, across connections and across genres in a way. It moves between essay and memoir and um, in, in that kind of uh, way that many books, contemporary books now do and sort of pushing on form and things like that because it's a way of pushing against a certain kind of argument that um, reaches a conclusion, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah, um, which was something I very much wanted it not to happen because there is no conclusion, yeah, <laughs> and and no resolution actually. So I, I wanted to I wanted to face that thing about intransigent and. L- the lack of resolution somehow and I suppose Mm. that was the emotional reason behind writing the book but it led me in all sorts of interesting divigations, I suppose.
0: And one of them, of course, is this deep dive into your personal history. Uh, You've managed to trace quite an astounding personal history, I should say. Um, I'm curious to know how much of that you were aware of when you began the journey. But your relatives were deeply involved in the exercise of colonial power in Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq in relation to oil exploration, another in South Africa during the Boer War. I was behind the infamous scorched earth policy. I mean, there are many more that you cite in the book, you know, which are deeply, deeply shocking, I think, when you know the, the history um, yeah. well. How, Fuzzy, how did you begin this process and why did you begin this process of wanting to unearth this history?
1: Well, part of it is being uh, in Australia. So I came to Australia when I was six. And turned seven, I think, the day after we arrived. So, all my, tr- I was raised here, I think of myself as Australian, but also I'm also British. I'm still actually officially British. So, I've never quite become Australian. So, I've always been kind of between different Anglo cultures. And um, part of it was being raised with the mythology of empire, which in a place, I was raised in a town called Ballarat in um, Western Victoria, where the mythology of empire makes absolutely zero sense. I mean, <laughs> so my mother was raising us to, you know, we had to speak properly and all that kind of stuff. Otherwise, the right people wouldn't recognize us. And, and it's kind of like when I mean, we had to go to school and, you know, so we all had outrageous Australian accents at school. And... <laughs> different accents at home because, of course, that was considered, you know, being a POM. And this was in the 70s in Australia. And so there was always that huge disconnect. And I suppose as I got older and I started reading things and I started understanding a little bit more about what empire meant, and particularly the British empire, which is where my family is so deeply implicated, um, I started asking questions and so, some things um, I knew quite a bit, you know, the things that are retailed as part of the glorious family history, um, you know, so your, you know, whatever remote ancestor was was a governor general of India and then, you know, you read about India colonialism and you go, well, okay. But when I started thinking about this book, I did do a fair bit of genealogical research and found more specific things out. That's when I discovered about um, his involvement in the camp, the scorched earth policy, which was really the point where I just went, wow, you know, like (laughs) it's uh, that history is actually personal and where do I sit in relation to that in terms of culpability? I mean, you know, there are so many ways in which you're kind of uh, how do you deal with that and what does it actually mean in any meaningful way? I mean, I live in Australia where uh, obviously we, we have um, First Nations people here who were displaced and who are um, uh, continuously, you know, still living under the, the things that were imposed on them by colonialism and invasion on their lands which were just taken in in australia they weren't even considered people who owned the land i mean <laughs> it was you know the terra nullius um program so australia is a particularly extreme version of cl- cl- colonialism i think and here it's like even being here it's the same question like as, as a person who lives in australia what is my culpability mm. Because I'm still a colonist here, and or a settler, as I think is the term people are using now. But yeah. I think colonist, and um, and it's a real question, and it's not one that can be fudged, I suppose. And there, there's a lot about that question that is not for people like me to answer, because I am not the person who has suffered from. The depredations of colonialism, and um, I, I do talk through a, a bit of that in the book just that question because there are areas that you know are not mine to exp- ex- express. So,
0: really. what are the areas that are for you to express in your view, having done that research, having reflected on it, and uh, as you say, kind of your role today in connection to that history? Um, well. I think
1: one thing that I'm not interested in is guilt. There's a, they call it here, the black armband view of history, which is uh, for the right wing uses to basically dismiss a whole lot of um, different histories that have been actually made in, in the past 50 years of talking about Aboriginal histories and Torres Strait Islander histories. But, um, no, I'm not interested in guilt or d- displaying guilt, but I think what I can talk about with some authority is whiteness
0: mm-hmm. and
1: what look at it from the inside of what whiteness is as a familial and psychological phenomenon. So that's pretty much what I tried to do in the book because my my feeling and or my experience of it to be more precise is that it's something that uh, I think you said yourself you know you're not aware of it as a privilege until it's kind of forcibly pointed out to you in some way and but it's a privilege that you have that that you are centered as a white person you have the proper culture you have the whatever the legitimacy and authority and that is given you as a privilege but it's uh, it's actually something that's intensely damaging to all of us and I think has been very damaging in my family. It's been part of the, um, the habits of mind I ended up thinking about, the ways our psy- psyches are shaped, how we're raised, what we're taught, that intensely um, shape how we relate to each other, to our children to our parents to our lovers how what gender is what we Mm. think gender is how how we um, place things in hierarchies um, all these things and they affect us in the most intimate ways and perhaps I think perhaps that is part of why there is such difficulty in moving on because people It's very painful to look at those at that level. What do you mean by moving on? Well, change, like how there's such incredible resistance that you encounter when even the word whiteness is mentioned. People get incredibly defensive. Like, you know, in the most um, most extreme examples, you get people saying it's racism to even mention the word white yeah and uh, you know it seems absurd but people do say that and so there's this intense defensiveness yeah and and um which people have called white fragility but I think is a bad term for that
0: okay um, You're not not a fan of the white fragility term
1: no it feels um feels feels inaccurate to me Um, I think it's something darker than (laughs) fragility Mm. and um, it's an aggression and it's a complex thing but basically it's about totally rejecting even thinking
0: about it Mm. and um, so acknowledging would you say what, what the the history the darkness how would you define it I guess and Connected to that, I'd love to hear how you feel like it's impacted your personal relationships, which are obviously so central in the book.
1: Well, I think what whiteness is a delusion. I think it's just that simple that in order to maintain the fiction of white supremacy, a whole structure, you know, huge, huge structures have been, you know, you know, how big I mean the British Empire itself, and that's only part of it. There's all the European empires, there's America, but they've we've erected this enormous physical and mental structures that are based on a delusion, which is that white people are better than other people, people who are not white, and it's necessary. We believe that, and, um, and that, and as you know that. Um, particular ideology is there for to um, basically legitimise things like invading Australia or invading America and and throwing people off their land, stealing their lands, stealing their resources, and it still justifies that. Mm. And um, so, but it's 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 a mythology that's been. Um, supported for so many centuries now that it's um, it's massive. It, it kind of infects so so almost every aspect of our lives and our culture. And so to, but because it's based on a delusion, it's very difficult to step back and say, well, maybe that's a delusion because then everything falls to bits. Yeah. I mean that's necessarily what must happen that everything must fall to bits but for people who feel invested in that privilege and in that power and this includes many powerless people I think um it's it's an impossible ask Mm. so you end up with this hugely aggressive resistance Mm. to even the suggestion that this might be examined and it might be wrong
0: that's my like, yeah, in in the book you you talk about your father who was involved in mining in South Africa at the height of apartheid. Um, you yourself lived uh, there at the time, uh, and I have this quote that was a standout for me. You say experts in child development say that the first three years are crucial in a child's development. I spent my first I, I my first three years in the most racist country in the world. Sorry, I spent my first three years in the most racist country in the world. How do you think spending those formative years under apartheid have shaped you as a person who's racialized as white in in terms of your sense of whiteness?
1: Well, I suppose the first thing is that you never think about being white. I mean, it's the first thing. I have, um, as I say in the book, I've got scattered memories. of I was four when we left and... um, so, so there's so many things that I don't remember that are somehow, you know, I mean, I suppose ch- children's memories are very egocentric and and I remember a house, you know, like, that kind of thing. But I don't remember walking the street. I say, say in the book, the thing of looking at photos of, of South Africa at that time and yeah. being particularly fascinated by the streetscapes yeah. with all the, you know, whites only signs and you know, the black nannies and the black maids that must have been there, or the I'm just going, I, I remember zero of that. And um, but that was part of my reality. And it kind of, does kind of haunt me that I'm mm. um, in the same way that I, I learned to speak Afrikaans and I have no memory of Afrikaans. Mm. It was one of my first languages. Um, but it's there somewhere. The Did same you think way that
0: free to undo it in some way even if you don't remember it consciously and what I mean by that is if these are kind of formative experiences and they are so steeped in racism or do you actually think that actually the racism you encountered in South Africa which you don't remember that much is present in Australia today anyway so it's not about undoing that per se as much as it might be about undoing the present.
1: Oh, it's definitely about undoing the present. Mm. Yeah, without a doubt. But, um, I mean, somebody said about this book that it looks backwards, um, which is true. Yes, it's a book about memory and it's a book about a part or lots of different pasts and conflicting pasts and conflicting stories. It is a book about a whole lot of, um, you know, what happens with delusion is a whole lot of distorted, fractured, traumatised memories that don't fit and um, so it's one of the things that happens but um, I'm sorry I forgot what I was going to say what, <laughs> no, what did you I, ask me <laughs>
0: no don't worry I was just sort of thinking reflecting on the idea of, oh about now you know, yeah yeah the formative years versus the idea that actually you know racism is very much alive and well in modern Australia so is it yes. about kind of acknowledging that that will inevitably have had an impact on shaping your psyche as a child but that actually your reality today is is just as relevant in terms of confronting racism.
1: Totally I I think I mean without a doubt I mean the reality now is more more so I think it's more urgent Mm. and I suppose the reality now is part of the reason why I wrote the book because it's like in order to understand now, we do have to understand how we got here, right. and I, 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 that's something I fundamentally believe. And um, there's an awful lot, you know, in a, in my family, there's an awful lot of, well, that happened. We can just get past that. I think that's we a very
0: common to,
1: view. Yeah. Yeah. We just we don't we don't need to address that. We're all fine now. Let's let's not ever talk about this ever let's ever ever. Ask. Yeah. Yeah. And and if you do raise it, it's um, considered a hostile act, mm-hmm. and um, worse than the actual circumstances that are being being discussed. I think this is a very white kind of psychological reaction to, to mm. discussing racism. Um, so that very it, the past is always seems to me very pertinent to the present because it does shape it. And yes, it. it you know, that thing has haunted me for a long time. Like I can do my best as a conscious human being to fight against the racism that I have within me as a white person raised in the way I am. And I certainly do that and I try to do that in good conscience. There's still that really haunting thought that how successful can I be? Like... um, can I ever get past that? I suppose part of the gamble of the book is I hope I can. Mm. <laughs> I hope in some good faith way that's not, you know, I have to believe that's possible for, yeah. for us, for us collectively. I have to believe that's possible because if I don't, that then we're doomed, you know, because I, I honestly believe that white supremacy, racism and everything that goes with it is destroying the planet i just think that's the case and we want a better yeah. world so there's, how do we yeah, change those yeah. intransigent things right
0: there's a quote actually connected to that that i was just about to cite you say <clears throat> the pathology of whiteness is that it can't face itself the merest glimpse of itself in the monstrous savagery of the great white shark or the polar bear generates the deepest repulsion the self-pitying whiteness that believes in its heart that it is the true victim of those who argue against the injustice of whiteness, which I think connected to what you were just saying there. But I'm curious to know how when you delve deeply into that past, cause I think a lot of people will have connections. A lot of people in Britain will have connections to Imperial history that they're not aware of, you know, more yeah. or less. I mean, you've obviously, your family was ob- obviously very deeply connected, um, but, but you know, a lot of people would probably be very surprised if they looked in their ancestry. How do yeah. you take what you glean from that history and, and transmute it, transform it, or or take from it something that contributes back to repairing, making reparations? Um, you know, what do you do with that history in order to do right the wrongs?
1: Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do know that in, in my work, I try to, this is not my writing work, I, I I try to be conscious of all these things and act in ways that maybe make some kind of reparation, and um, that that is very important to me in my personal ethical life, if you like. And um, so I work as an editor, and 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 it's about how I work and who I work with. Um, but yeah, in in the largest scheme of things it's like yeah we all have to act it's it's not about just going oh my god we're all so terrible what do we do I mean that's just pointless right and I think that's one of the things that has been a um, a real problem in actually dealing with it there's a lot of formative kind of stuff but actually um, the inner work of being an ethical human being is something that's always unresolved and and you're never there, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, and I think part of that is facing that, and the other part is just how you act in your life and what pressures you bring to bear, where you can bear bring to bear them, bring them to bear. Um, if that makes sense. I mean. Yeah, I mean, you, it's-, you, you, it's an active thing to. You, it's like. I think you literally have to get up every day and go, well, how can I not be complicit as much as possible with these structures within which I live and move? Mm. Um, And we need them to survive. That's the other complication. But what can I do to shift things? What can I do not to be at least someone dragging us back all the time? Mm. Um, And yeah. Oh yeah, but it's about more than being a witness,
0: right? And I think that's yeah. that's kind of something I was trying to get at because I think sometimes we, obviously, um and I say the the we in the sense of people racialized as white in this conversation, you know, the the recognition of the harm that white racial identity groups white structures have done and our participation in them wittingly or unwittingly um you know I think some people get paralyzed by that and that it's become you know like a stopping point like we've just you know we know it we've said it we you know we we're part of the good bunch that say that it's there so we know it's real but there's something about sort of obviously the ways in which history has shaped the present and the inequalities of the present that I don't think we can um, sort of completely rid ourselves from responsibility in, not for, but responsibility in, which I think is a different different point. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, a, a section in your book where you say, uh, I wonder if, in writing this, I am somehow doing the same thing De Delezal did, so we're talking about Rachel Delezal here, uh, for those who don't know, who uh, was a white woman who posed as uh, a black woman um, and was involved in civil rights campaigning in the US and was uh, unmasked a few years ago. Um, in terms of her real uh, identity. Uh, but still to this day, I think very much identifies as black, black although she, she does, was yeah. born into a family that's racialized as white or white. So you say, it's difficult to conclusively say that I'm not, AKA doing what De Delezal does. I'm centering my own whiteness in the face of black anguish. I'm looking for some kind of redemption or at the very least a way of belonging in the world that has some kind of authenticity, even though I'm forced to make it up myself. What does redemption mean in this context? And what new forms of belonging have you sought out?
1: Well, it's it's complicated. Redemption, I think, I don't think there is redemption for us uh, as white people. I think, um, you know, in the book, the book is kind of about my search for redemption that I don't find. Mm. Um, You know, when I do the genealogy, I go all the way back to the 1100s and the earliest ancestor I can find was one of the colonists of Scotland, which was kind of like a moment for me. I was like, okay, so that's a thousand years of colonization. (laughs) Like, What do I do about that? That's what it is. Um, You know, it's only on one side of the family, but um on the other side of the family who are equally colonists but much more middle class they were businessmen working in malaya as they called it and you know etc etc Miners, um equally part of the machine but you know not so high up if you like but Mm. just as culpable and so uh lost my way again i'm so sorry
0: well you were saying that around yeah. redemption which obviously i, I you know oh redemption my, that's I, right there's no i don't think there is but it was interesting to me that you used that kind of phrase and you were referencing de lazal you know this idea of it's yes. like appropriating a space yes. yeah
1: well I, I i can see you know like i was so fascinated by that whole case and followed it very closely and watched the documentary and Everything like that. And I just going, well, I understand why you want to re- reject whiteness. I totally understand why that these things, particularly if it's true about a traumatic childhood abuse, which is contested, but um, you can totally understand why anybody would want to yeah. just reject whiteness. But we can't do that. I mean, that's ridiculous. We have to accept our histories and we have to accept that they are what they are and Mm -hmm. and much of that history is incredibly ugly and has caused an enormous amount of damage That's just like fact yeah and but there's also much of that history that you know personally is because I'm a poet and language matters to me you know much of the culture is also something I really love so how do I negotiate that as well you know because I do and um and not all of it is toxic Hmm. so um and some of it in fact gives has given me the tools to begin to analyze all this stuff for myself so you know it's it's not a simple thing but i think the first thing the really important thing is to put away the guilt like the guilt is the paralyzing thing that people just feel so guilty that they can't do anything and it's I've never had a lot of time for guilt myself. (laughs) It's like. Yeah,
0: no, I think it's um, it's thing stone maybe at most.
1: Yeah, it's like, no, at some point I say I think there is a bit of point in shame, Mm. which is a different thing.
0: It's also centering yourself again in a story which is really about you and your pain. It's kind of about remedying other people's, Yeah,
1: yeah. And that's, of course, you know, like a, I think it's a real question about my book and one I did ask <laughs> times or a lot of times. But um, I also think there's a way in which we must understand our own pain. I opened the book with that fabulous quote from James Baldwin that mm. if white people don't understand their anguish, they're just going to keep creating the same terrible <laughs> problems. And because um, I, I, I remember reading it's from the fire next time and I read that years ago but I remember that just really hitting me that particular quote yeah of um, he's absolutely right we have to face our delusions and uh, and what is behind those delusions yes there's pain and we have to look at that as well and accept that and and it's important to do that and then it comes the the tricky bit is like yes and that pain has caused an awful lot of pain right and and so at the same time you're not going to get get properly or stop the reproduction of it because it, the pain just keeps get, being reproduced we mm-hmm. we do I, and i suppose the central thesis of the book is that we do it to each other we've been taught to do it to each other so we can then we. do it White people, okay. people who are racialized as white, um, you go to school and you are taught ways ways to relate. The patriarchal family, re, you know, has a certain structure that of of authority and so often, um, you know, quite often that's violent authority, yeah. which then has all sorts of spillings out. We we are taught. As and to be individualistic as well rather than um, communal. We're taught that even if we're, um, you know, at the bottom of the tree as white people, we're still superior to anybody who's not white. Mm. And um, so we have to, And but because we're taught these things, we have really bad habits of, very you know damaging each other and i suppose that was the point of just talking about my relationship with my sister that we both damaged each other and um and some of that's just you know individual sibling stuff but the shapes of it uh, and this is where i draw draw from ruby hammer who wrote that wonderful white tears brown scars
0: book yes who where she been, passed down
1: yeah. yeah no but ruby's so um absolutely just lays it out but um when and I did get to get to the end of the book where she's talking about how white supremacy has these um characteristics in common with narcissism and it it just hit me because that was where I was kind of absolutely going to but from a kind of opposite end but it is yeah and and um yeah, we have to undo that somehow.
0: So, would you say that you and your sister are partly estranged because of whiteness? Whiteness is a contributing factor in why you're estranged.
1: Yeah, as, as I say, it's not as simple as colonialism no, made, made us do this, but yeah. I, oh, I absolutely believe that. Yes, yeah. it's, um, it's. Because what colonialism taught us was um, the ways of relating that made this possible, and and those ways of relating are generational. I mean, you know, it's our parents, their parents, um, that, and they're really toxic ways of being, actually. Mm. And um, once you step outside that culture and encounter other cultures, um, you can find better ways of relating.
0: Mm. so before we head to the quick fire round I just wanted to ask you what obviously as a feminist yourself and and feminism comes up a lot in the book and it was really interesting to me the way in which that you know we move between sort of the very personal sibling relationship to kind of wider questions around feminism to colonialism and it got me thinking about several speakers we've had on who've, who've talked about the relationship as they see it between Uh, patriarchy and colonialism so I wanted to ask you as a feminist how do you conceive of the relationship between colonialism and patriarchy or whiteness and patriarchy?
1: Well they're all intensely related aren't they? They're they're different aspects of the same thing I suppose that and and what they are are all expressions of power over other people. And uh, yeah,
0: great. Well, look, let's get to our quick fire round. So, um, very brief questions and very brief answers, if you would. What is your definition of whiteness?
1: Uh, oh, gosh, <laughs> is, I know you warned me, but I, I've gone blank. <laughs> um, my definition of whiteness is um, the delusion that white people are superior what
0: is the root of racism? I'm being very bad at this, I'm
1: failing, I not I? There's no there's, racism, no, there's no. I have no idea what the root of racism is. It's, it's I mean, it's essentially in this, an expression of power, but it's an economic and social and cultural and colonial expression of power
0: is there such a thing as a post-racial world in your view or is that universalist ideal or and is that universalist ideal ever achievable or desirable? Um,
1: Well we certainly don't live in a post-racialist world that seems awfully clear Um, and I don't know what it means to be post-racialist like Um, people come from all sorts of different places with all sorts of different cultures. And um, so if that were some kind of homogenous society where everyone's the same kind of thing and all differences are raised, well, no, that would be terrible and really boring. But I, I hope there is enough of a utopian in me to think that, yeah, it should be possible for people to negotiate their differences and to live with together with them and we do see you know in small and even historically in larger ways that these these things do happen um and it is possible of course it's possible
0: what makes an anti-racist
1: i think getting up every day saying i'm not i'm going to work against racism it's an active pushing back
0: Um, Is whiteness a useful conceptual tool in conversations on anti-racism?
1: I actually don't know if I'm the right person to answer that. Um, I think it is important to have it as a tool because I think it's very important that we as white people acknowledge that we are racialized the same as everyone else.
0: Fantastic, thank you so much, Alison. Uh, If people want to connect with your work, if they'd like to buy your book, Monsters, is there a bookseller of choice that you would like to recommend?
1: There is, but I can't remember their name. Oh, fantastic.
0: (laughs) Is there a website you'd like to flag that people can go to to connect with your work more generally?
1: Um, AlisonCrogan.com.
0: Fantastic, and presumably there might be a link to the publisher on there
1: yes there is indeed
0: great well um once again Alison, thank you so much for joining us thank you to all of our listeners and viewers for tuning in to this episode of we need to talk about whiteness if you enjoyed it please subscribe here on itunes spotify soundcloud and join us next time for more conversations on whiteness